Well, hopefully you've heard by now, but today is kind of a big day. I don't want to put anybody in a panic, but it is Valentine's Day, an important occasion for love. Now, guys, don't worry. Walgreens is open on Sunday. The perfect product, the perfect gifts are plentiful and that as seen on TV aisle. No need to be anxious. Don't overthink it or second guess it. You're right. Truly nothing says I love you like her very own ShamWow. I don't know what your Valentine's Day experiences have been like over the years, but my earliest memories were at grade school. Maybe you can relate. When you had a little box or an envelope in which other students would slip a card into. In my generation, it would have been someone like Alf or a ninja turtle that would offer a somewhat ambiguous, non-committal sentiment like, stay cool or you're rad, something like that. And to be fair, at, at that age, we couldn't care less what the card said. Uh, you just hoped that there was candy attached and I guess some things never change, right? You were sure to always receive some conversation hearts at some point, a little side note during this pandemic. It's been hard to find cleaning products. You might actually miss that nice cleaning product smell. If you wonder what cleaning products might taste like, try one of the green conversation hearts. It will take you there in a hurry. Further down in high school, the stakes are higher. It's a bit more serious. My school had a program where you could buy a balloonogram. You could give that to your special someone, a, a floating display of affection for all to see. Now your class could be interrupted as you are dramatically delivered this treasured symbol of love. Now, if you're in the early stages of your relationship or you're just testing the waters, you would go for the sensible standard latex balloon. But if you wanted to make an impact, drop jaws, drop a nuclear bomb of adoration, you went mylar. You see, it's the Bentley of balloons. You know, the one, the shiny, metallic, heart-shaped ones with a message like, be mine, Valentine. See, the Mylar balloon is no ordinary balloon. It's a statement balloon. And when you're 14, it says, I have fallen head over heels in deep like with you. You attach some candy to that string, Cupid can't miss. Uh, now that you're older, your statements on Valentine's are more like, doesn't anyone eat at home anymore? The wait is out the door. It's going to take two hours. Let's just wait till Wednesday. We won't have to wait. Much of Valentine's Day is about the gift. What should I get for this person that communicates how I, how I really feel about them? I had a friend in college who was given a gift when he was ill, a, a girl that he thought might be interested in him, had baked him some cookies when he was sick and had them delivered to his dorm room. Well, he decided to return the favor uh, a few weeks later as Valentine's Day approached. He made her a little uh, jar of candy, got it ready, and had someone deliver it to her. Of course, 
when you're in college and there's kids around, uh, you're starving, and so there was candy there, and so people began to ask, can we have some of the candy? She said, sure, and she started to pass it out. What she didn't know is that my friend had handwritten little personal notes of affection in every piece of candy confection. So as her peers peeled back each piece, they were greeted with these private, bite-sized bits of romanticism. She watched in horror as they opened them and began to, to giggle, and they teased her with the transcriptions, and person after person opened. It was too late. She couldn't get the candy back in the jar. And believe it or not, that relationship didn't work out, folks. <laughs> I can report to you today, he's doing just fine, has a beautiful family, lives in a beautiful place near a beach. He's doing all right. Sadly, she never recovered from the embarrassment. No, I'm kidding. She's doing well, no doubt, as well. You know, it was a great gift. It was just used all wrong. In our scripture passage this morning in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is telling the church at Corinth that they'd been given some wonderful gifts, those spiritual gifts given to believers when they call on Christ as Lord. They were great gifts. They were just being used all wrong. The way those gifts were employed was of the utmost importance. The spiritual gifts they'd been given weren't being carried out correctly. Paul tells them he's got a better way, a more excellent way, that love was the only way. It was essential, much more than a secondhand emotion. He tells them that for every believer, everything must be done in love. See, now God spoke through this passage so many years ago, but God wants to speak to you today too. He's still calling believers today, still calling his beloved to live in love. If you're not already there, will you turn there with me or turn on your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'll start in that verse just before the beginning of chapter 13. Will you put your eyes on it with me? And I show you a still more excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. This morning, I want to show you a few keys to living a life of love. The first key we need to understand is this, the significance of love. The significance of love. Now, Paul pointed out it doesn't matter if we speak in angelic phrases, 
if we have mountain-moving faith or are willing to readily give of ourselves, if love isn't the track our efforts travel on, we're headed nowhere. The original text employs for love a somewhat familiar Greek word to us, agape, not a romantic love or a brotherly friendship type of love, but a love that is genuine, committed, willful, a sacrificial and selfless concern for the well-being of others. The apostles telling the early church if they try to live out the life they've been called to apart from love, their gifts, they're not just diminished. They're not just handicapped. He says they're useless. Void of love, you gather up all the gifts, put them in a pile, stack them on each other, and when you add them all up, you've got nothing. A British news outlet reported recently about an antiques roadshow hopeful who had a piece alleged to be painted by the mysterious street artist Banksy. Maybe you've heard of Banksy. He's known for his graffiti that has become well-known, and if his artwork can be authenticated, is very valuable. Back in 2014, in fact, a Banksy piece painted on a door in Bristol, England, was brought in. And it eventually was sold for over 400,000 pounds or $552,000. Who knew vandalism was so valuable? Now the picture in question here on the Antiques Roadshow was a rat holding on to a power drill. Sounds beautiful, doesn't it? Expert Rupert Moss was told by the man he'd taken the piece from a wall. It looked loose. I went over and I pulled it off, basically. Rupert, the expert, pointed out that Banksy, whose identity has long been a mystery in the art world, manages his brand very, very carefully. This means that you can apply for a certificate of authenticity, which means a team has looked over it and they've given it the thumbs up. And you can only get that certificate if you haven't taken it from where it was really, uh, originally painted. And the man told Rupert that he had tried but could not get it validated because he had removed it. Then the expert said to him, without that certificate, it's very difficult to sell. He told the man, with it, it could be worth over 20,000 pounds. Without it, you're nowhere. I'm sorry. Do you know what? Love authenticates our gifts, our expressions of faith. It gives them worth. If what we do in the name of the Lord is void of love, there is no value. You can be talented. You can be gifted, devoted, a generous giver, endowed with mountain-moving faith, but it is worthless without love. Paul compares the Corinthian efforts apart from love like a, a raucous gong or a clanging cymbal just as the pagans would use to incite their gods. An action that doesn't accomplish anything. It just makes noise. How tragic when the glorious gifts of God are relegated to the sound of the first rehearsal of a middle school marching band. See, it's only when our notes are played in the right sequence, 
when our hands form the chords in care. When we remove self that a symphony is scored, when we tap our feet to the time and move with the motivation of love, it's then and only then do we really make music. Does your life look like love? Does your life sound like love? Paul says, if not, we're just making noise. The first key to living a life of love is to understand the significance of love. The second is for us to understand the substance of love. Will you look at verse four with me? Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The substance of love. Now, if you're married, I'm pretty sure I just renewed your vows. So you're welcome. You should be good another 25, 30 years before you'll need your next booster. If, if you're not married, I hope you were careful with who you're sitting by because I think that counts as a ceremony in some states. This is a beautiful, almost hymn to love. But the context, it's not marriage. The context is the necessity for God's people to live out their gifting in love. Paul goes from telling them why it's so important to what it looks like when it's carried out. The world will try to show you what love is, what it's made of, teach you what it's about. But don't buy it. Trust the truth. Scripture tells us that love is patient and kind and not jealous, boastful, or proud. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. You know what that means? That's the idea of someone having a ledger who's keeping track, making notes on who's wronged them, who's gone against them, Who's hurt them? Them? They're on my list. Love doesn't keep a ledger. It rejoices when truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures all seasons. We're called to that kind of love, to live out that list. But listen, that's an impossible list. You have a better chance of getting a toddler to sit still, being charged no taxes, and having a silent West Texas wind chime all in the same day. We struggle. 
We war against unloving thoughts and unloving words, attitudes that are adverse to love. If we're truthful with ourselves, we cannot make it to lunch before we fall flat on our face. Much less live a lifetime that expresses that kind of love. But see here, part of the trouble is that we try to do this on our own. Part of God's design for his people is that they use their gifts together as one body and furthermore, for him to be the power that helps us pursue love and project love. One of my favorite books that I read early on in ministry is called The Next Generation Leader. And the main concept of the book is is not a new concept. It's essentially... Try to live where your gifts are. Try to minister where you're gifted. And God has placed people with giftings around you that you should free them up to use their gifts. Let go of the things that they're better at than you are. Let them use their gifts. Because what what drains your battery battery charges their battery. Uh, Free them up to use their gifts. Giftedness, a timeless leadership lesson to be sure. And people have been gifted by God to carry out various expressions of faith for him. It's like he gave them a special skill, a unique capacity for expertise. Do you know who is skilled in love like no other? Do you know who is an expert in love? How about someone who is love? God is patient and kind. God provided a way, doesn't take account of our wrongs, but rather sends them to the bottom of the sea, casts them as far as the east is from the west. He is righteousness. He is truth. Why don't we let him do what he does best? He won't grab the reins from you. He wants you to hand them over. See, love is not a spiritual gift, but a fruit of the Spirit, as Paul would tell those southern churches in Galatia, one that is cultivated, worked into the life of believers, expressed as a result of our abiding in Christ through knowing Him, trusting Him, meditating on His Word. Then we're refined, and the ground of our hearts becomes conducive for love to grow. But make no mistake... Any yield is contingent on our yieldedness. See, the secret to success in living a life of love is not found in your strength. It's found in your surrender. We can't carry out this list of love on our own. If we try, we are headed for frustration and disappointment Part of what we must do daily as believers is to come before the Lord, hand over the reins of our lives and say, I can't do what you've called me to do on my own. Not when I'm in control. Not out of my own strength. I won't love this way, but I know you will. I can't love this way, but I know you can.
God, help me abide in you so much so that your love grows in me and shows through me that the fruit, the yield of my life is love. We've got to understand the significance of love and then see the substance of love. Then the staying power of love. Will you look at verse eight with me? Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. The staying power of love. Love never fails. You could say it this way, love lives on. It's everlasting. It will never come to an end. It's eternal. Love will never become obsolete or empty. Paul reveals the gifts that he's speaking about will one day no longer be necessary and will one day cease, but the future of love is secure. He's saying, invest there, buy stock in it. Love will endure. He goes on to give the analogy of the maturity of a child that grows up and no longer does childish things. He gives the illustration of looking into a metal mirror that lacks clarity but one day is crystal clear. What was once partial will be perfect. What was once clouded will be complete. One day our faith becomes sight and we see him face to face. We will know and be known. But until then, we're to live in love. Paul completed his three-part picture of love with a final trio, but now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Have you ever heard the word hodinky? <laughs> it comes from the Czech word for wristwatch. There's an American website called hodinky. And it's dedicated to all things timepiece related. And they have a video series called Talking Watches. A host will sit down with a person of influence, usually an athlete or an actor, TV personality. And they'll bring out their watch collection and they'll tell stories around it about how they got those watches or how they were gifted to them. It's an interesting thing, but it's not a new concept. It's, it's basically show and tell for grown-ups. I don't know, if you're like me, your stories wouldn't be too exciting. Well, I was at an outlet mall, I was on vacation, it was on clearance, so I bought it. And, uh, but these stories are better. There's a history behind these timepieces. I was watching the videos one day, and one particular interview struck me as significant. Maybe you know Alton Brown, the popular Food Network star. He was being featured. Brown spends a good bit of time talking about all his time pieces going one by one. He's got quite a collection. 
Then he comes to this stunning Omega Seamaster. It's a vintage watch. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. The tone of his voice changes. You can hear him fill with emotion. He says, my father was wearing this watch when he died in 1973. Happened the last day of sixth grade. I was just 10 years old. A few years later, his mom gifts him that watch. More years pass and he goes off to college, takes the watch with him and his apartment gets broken into. It's ransacked, it's looted, and the watch is stolen. He's devastated. Decades passed, and he's on eBay one day. He says, I was always looking for that type of watch. I was always trying to find that type of watch. He said, my dad had kept meticulous records he kept all the numbers, all the booklets, the boxes. I still had those, but I didn't have the watch. He was looking on eBay, and he began to read off the numbers. And to use his word, he said, I was, I was overcome as I began to read off the numbers and realize that they're matching. And before too long, he realized this wasn't a watch just like my dad's. This is my dad's watch. And so he buys it. He says, I spent so much more money than it was worth. He said it was beat up, broken, barely ticking. Someone had to spend six months going through it, finding the original parts and restoring it back to life. I never stopped looking for it, he said. I feel so fortunate. It's such a wonderful connection to my dad. You know, your father has given you a priceless gift that we too have a connection to him. Our gift too was broken but brought back to life. An everlasting love has been extended to us in Christ and we're to display his love in everything we do, wear it wherever we go. Its value, his value, is unmatched, priceless, and eternal. It's the kind of gift we always want to have. We, we want it on us and in us, and God's love is the kind of love we're to have living through us. 1 John 4.10 says this, and this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Paul is pleading with the church, live out that kind of love. 
live out the love that you've been given. That kind of love, the kind of love that God has loved you with, the kind of love that would, that would make him send his son on our behalf. It has significance, substance, and staying power. Know today that you were loved. Remember today and every day that God has given you his perfect, priceless gift of love. Know that love isn't some abstract, intangible, philosophical notion. It is practical, observable, expressing itself in everyday actions and attitudes. Understand that we're to live out of love from the abundance of love that we've been given. Living in love will change our lives. It will change our lives. How might God use you with a heart so surrendered? A heart that daily says, God, here is my life. Take it, use it, love through me. I wonder how your relationships might be different if we learn to live this way. How could it alter the atmosphere at work, at home, at church, in our community? if we were motivated, directed, and known by our love. You can be sure it will be revolutionary. God's love is always transformative. The Christian life, what's love got to do with it? Everything. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you for the gift of love that you've given us in your son. God, when we read from your word, from the source of truth, what love is and, and, and what it looks like and how powerful it is, we, we want it. We want it to be a part of our lives. We do want to live out our lives in love. We do want to use our giftings in love. But God, we recognize that we need you. God, we want to be surrendered to you. God, we want to let your love live through us. God, help us this day and each day to surrender to you. God, to seek you. God, to be open to letting you love through us. Help us today. Speak to our hearts. Change us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.